Hello, and welcome to Wide Open Spaces with Elise, a podcast. This is season three, episode number 73, The Journey. Everyone has a story. You can go to my website at wideopenspaceswithelise.com. Elise is spelled I-L-I-S-E. And pop in those earbuds and you can listen to me anywhere you love listening to your favorite podcasts. This podcast evolved out of a global pandemic when all the world began to lock down and unfortunately still some are on lockdown. This podcast evolved. I took my therapeutic skills and my journalism skills and created this podcast to create some good, to find my own self during those odd quarantine times, to feel productive. And most of all, because we all felt so isolated, to feel like I could reach out and touch others with my knowledge, with my experiences, with my feelings and my emotions, and just to be able to connect. And so from there, Wide Open Spaces with Elise evolved. I believe we all have wide open spaces within ourselves that need to be filled with positive and healthy things. And so, wide open spaces, that's where it came from. And by you listening here today, it's to help you fill those wide open spaces within yourselves, especially if you're dealing with sadness or depression. It's so important to fill those spaces with positive energy and positive thoughts and positive coping skills. And so we're here with season three, episode number 73. If you listen to my launch of season three last week, I talked about bad things, good people, and how good people have strings of bad things that happen to them beyond their own control, one after the other. And how do you survive through those times? I am one of those people who have had those tragic, traumatic experiences that have disrupted my life, one after the other piling on top of each other, never really giving me a chance to catch my breath. And so when I thought about season three and how I wanted to approach it, I decided since this podcast is about me connecting with you, what better way to travel this journey together on how to get through these things that keep piling on top of each other. And I know so many people, probably every single one of you, has things that pile on top of each other. Maybe not traumatic, maybe not detrimental, maybe not life-altering, but stressful nonetheless and making your life feel out of control. And so the journey, the journey begins to help us identify ways to get through things that are weighing us down. And honestly, when I decided on this approach for season three, I figured, how do I start this? And it came to me, it's got to be basic. 
Anything that you start to do, when you learn a new job or you learn a new trade or you learn a new hobby, you start out slow. You start out basic. And so why shouldn't this be tackled the same way? By starting out basic with those little steps so that we build a strong foundation in tackling this journey. And that's how I've decided to tackle my journeys that I've been through recently, is to start with my foundation, that basic foundation. When times are overwhelming, our brain becomes so absorbed with the stress of everything. And ultimately, our brains need a break. You know when you're overtired or overstressed or overwhelmed, you don't function efficiently. And that makes life hard. So on top of all those other things, you're now not functioning efficiently. And so the brain needs a break. And one way is to set a goal in your life to accept that there's going to always be hard times. They're going to happen. They will happen. But how can you give yourself some control over that, which is your vulnerability to these things that pile upon themselves? You're vulnerable because they're not expected. They're not planned. And so you want to be able to have some control so that you feel that your life isn't spinning out of control. In this title today, Everyone Has a Story. You all have your stories. It's not about whose story is worse or whose story is more tragic. It's about you, yourself, and your story as an individual. It's not a competition here. Don't compare your stories and your life situations to what I will talk about. Don't say, oh, I really shouldn't feel bad. Hers is much worse. No. Don't compare yourself to a friend who's going through hard times or a coworker or a family member because your reality is your reality. It's your vulnerability. It's your situation. It's your life experiences that have become overwhelming, that have piled up on top of each other. And so it's so important for us to gain control because then we function more efficiently. Our brain gets a rest when we start to take control. I do believe that taking one step at a time is less overwhelming and that's how I choose to tackle it is going one step at a time and so I'm going to share with you one of my many strings of events that have happened to me I've mentioned the passing of my father I had a surgery I was on jury duty I got COVID and something else that I won't share, but really something that rattled my family to its core happened last week. And so I've had this string of events that have really taken my breath away. 
and really affected my brain's functioning. And so I need control. So with you and with me, hopefully with your situations and learning through my experiences, you'll gain some control and give your brain a rest and help you give strength, get strength over those vulnerabilities. So I'm going to start with my jury duty. I know we all get those jury duty things in the mail and summonsing us and we're so irritated. And I've talked about that a little bit in the past about jury duty and our civic duty. And it really is so important. Even though it was so overwhelming, I don't think I would ask to take it back. It was an experience. It was part of my story. And I would like to share it with you and why it is part of now who I am forever. And so when you do get those jury duty summons, unless you have a good reason, young children, medical issues, single parent issues, you know what I'm trying to say, those legitimate issues. Don't think I didn't sit there in that jury box when the judge was asking hardships. I had just gotten over surgery eight weeks before that. I was still technically recuperating. But when I heard all these people's hardships, I sat and had to dig really deep with inside myself and say, I can't, with a calm heart, say that I have a hardship because listening to all these other people, those were hardships. And ultimately, yes, driving an hour to jury duty for however long, for however many days will be a little hard on me, but it's not a hardship. It's something that I could work through. So I made the choice not to tell the judge what I felt was hard for me, but not a hardship. And so that was my real first step in getting into this trial. Prior to that, you sit in this huge room and you have a number on your summons and the judge talks to you about civil rights and the lady who works there shows you a video and you just sit there patiently in this huge room, mind you, nobody wearing masks, but me and a few others. So I was uncomfortable there. And then a judge would call down and say, we're ready for our potential jurors. And the computer would spit out random numbers. And those people would be marched off to that judge's jury chambers. And so it's almost lunchtime and my number hasn't been called. And I'm like, either call it or don't call it. I just was getting irritated. I was in that room. It was comfortable. It was freezing. And so the nice lady says, oh, we have our last judge, his second round of jurors, because some trials need bigger jurors, a bigger pool. And whose number gets picked third? Me, number 91, lucky 91. Now, graciously, she said, it's lunchtime, so you get to go and have some lunch. Well, found out there's no cafeteria in the courthouse. So I went to the jury lounge and I 
got wanted water, but there was no water left. So I got a ginger ale and a nut mix. And that consisted of my lunch for that day. And got back to the room right on time, only to wait another hour until we were called down to the courtroom. And of course, the judge, once we go in, explains the rules and everything that you kind of see on the TV. And then he explains to us that it is a DUI manslaughter case. Now, underneath my mask, my expression is hidden, and I can only imagine what my facial expression was. My eyes, I know, opened up wide. And the gravity of this hit me. Oh, my God. Somebody passed away in this situation. And somebody was under the influence. And if I'm picked for this jury, I'm going to have to make a decision that will affect one family's lives or the other. And so I sat there, and we walk out, and the bailiff calls the names of who's being released for the day, and my name wasn't called. I was coming back the next day. And I did, and I got back into the courtroom, and I sat in the jury box, and we had to fill out these papers about different things about ourselves, our hobbies, our work. And I put podcaster and therapeutic recreational specialist. And so the prosecution and the defense get to ask the possible jurors questions. I got asked one question about what my husband's job was. Nothing about myself. And so then we were escorted out again and waited and waited. And the bailiff came out with his little cards with the names on them and called the names of those who were allowed to be released. Well, you've got it by now. I, my name was not called, which meant I was now on the jury. I turned to this nice person next to me and said, Oh my God, we're on the jury. Why am I shaking? And she said, because we have a very big responsibility ahead of us. The judge said we get to come back next week and do not look at the news and do not Google and do not research, do not tell anybody what this case is about. And so I go home and that's what I tell everybody because I want to follow the law. And then trial day comes and it's everything you see on TV and not everything you see on TV. It's a deliberation room, which is very small, and everybody is in there, and you have your own bathrooms, which is nice. Uh, you are let go for lunch if the day goes on that long, and you get to go out. And here it's by the nice river, and the sun is beautiful in South Florida. and So that was a perk. But we begin with being sworn in, and being told the rules again, and we start to hear a case. A case which I won't discuss the specifics because I choose not to. The judge told us once we were released and we had a verdict that we could discuss it any way we want. But I won't get into the details. 
sitting there day after day, taking in all this information, writing notes. I think I probably had 50 pages of notes, putting down every witness and their name and what their profession or what, what they were doing at the scene of the incident and what they had said. And then, of course, there's the technicalities, the toxicology and the coroners and taking this all in. I almost felt like I was having an out-of-body experience every day sitting there for three weeks. We had a couple days off. We always were off on Friday. And on some days did get out early. The judge was very nice. And on one side of the courtroom is the defendant's, what appeared to be his family. And on the other side is the victim's family. They were sitting closest to the jurors. And so at times I would look at the defendant. I'd look at his family, what I assumed to be his family. And I looked at the victim's family. And I would quickly go back to the prosecutor or the defense attorneys, whoever was speaking, or the judge. It was hard to look at both of those families, knowing whatever our decision was would affect one of those families. And so being a juror has such a heavy weight. You're sitting there and you're listening and you're listening, and in the back of your head you have questions that you can't raise your hand and ask those questions. Your hand almost goes up a few times, like almost if you're in a classroom and you have to consciously say to yourself, be quiet, <coughs> excuse me, mark that notation in your brain or jot it down so that you know that that question is there. Remember, you cannot go back and discuss this with the other jurors until deliberation time. So all this information every night is in my head, night after night after night, even on the nights that are off, I'm thinking about what the toxicologist said, what the defense attorney said about their clients, and what the prosecution's case was over and over. It literally consumed my life for three weeks. I couldn't take care of my child. Yes, she's older, but picking her up from school every day where I would get all the information of what was going on with her, not seeing my husband, not seeing my mother, not being able to make any plans with anybody. And I tried to stay away from people because they kept asking me, what's the case? You can tell me, come on, what's the case about? I won't tell anybody. Who, who am I going to tell? But I felt an obligation to follow the law. So this stayed with me, with nobody else, just like the other jurors. They all would go home and have to keep this information to themselves. Now, was it stressful? 1,000%. Was it overwhelming? 1,000%. This event, these three weeks, was on top of other events that had already happened to me that were life-altering that were life-changing. And here I am now sitting in a jury box with the power to change somebody's life. It's immense. It's heavy. It's hard. And it was stressful. 
and anxiety provoking. I will not lie. My anxiety was up, but I knew I had a job to do. And that's how I treated it. Like it was my job. And when I am in a job, I am 1000%, even an overachiever. And so that's how I tackled being a juror on this jury. And then the case was rested, and it was time for the jury to deliberate. Now, we knew by the numbers that there was too many people in the jury. And so, of course, then the judge says that three of you were alternates, and you will be released to go home, and thank you for your service. Well, at that point, I'm like, if I'm a freaking alternate, I'm going to be pissed. I just sat here for three weeks, putting my time, my energy, and forget about that, the mental capacity that it took to hold all this information and process all this information. I wanted to be there till the end. Thankfully, my name wasn't called. And so I was part of the jury, the official jury. And so with all the judges' rules and stipulations, we go in to deliberate. Now, some of those people were like, come on, we know what the answer is. I want to go home. And I'm saying in my head, are you kidding me? We just sat here for three weeks. Even if the verdict is completely obvious to you, to all of us maybe, don't we owe it to both of their families to review the evidence, to look at the evidence? to see if any of us have questions, to process those questions, or to ask the judge those questions. And so you know, if you've been listening to me, I opened my mouth and I said, this deserves at least an hour or so to sit and talk about this case. And so we did. We had our forewoman. And we were a jury of all females. So imagine all this estrogen in the room. Our forewoman was excellent, and we took out the evidence and looked at the evidence and talked about the case, and I then divulged to my fellow jurors, I was never asked, that I worked with people with chemical dependency issues, alcoholics, drug addicts, painkiller addiction. I worked with it all from adolescence to the aged. And so they never asked. So when I was sitting there and listening to the whole trans, the whole situation that transpired to this DUI manslaughter case, I know the specifics about drugs and alcohol and synergistic effects of that's alcohol and drugs working together. And I was probably the most perfect juror that they could ever have, but they didn't know. Because when a patient walked in to be assessed by our unit, I couldn't look at what their possible crimes were. I was aware of them, but they were a patient to me like anybody else that was admitted to that floor. And I had to treat them like everyone else. And so I would put that out of my mind and just look at them as the patient with their mental illness and their addictions. And so I was able to look at that defendant and look at its beha his behaviors 
and not knowing their history and be able to pick up on cues and things, but to still look at them as a person, even though I knew they took a life. And on the opposite, I know what it's like to have and see family members who have suffered from the consequences of others' addictions. And so there was a family whose family member was intoxicated and in that intoxication took a life. And so I was the perfect juror. And in that deliberation room, I then tell them their mouths dropped on the floor. And I'm like, well, I put my profession. Nobody asked. They would have kept me anyways because I was the perfect juror. I knew the technicalities of being in the toxicology. And I know the technicalities of having someone who is under the influence And so I sat there with no judgments, clean slate, and listened to all the evidence. And then went through the evidence again. And I did have a question and asked the judge the question. And it was just one question that had stuck with me. And in the end, we had our verdict on four counts, all guilty. Here comes the part that will stay with me forever is going into that courtroom and having the clerk read our verdict. I remember uh, all of us saying how nervous we were. Well, not all of us, most of us, because we were deciding the consequences of someone's actions and their life and the life that was taken. And we all go in and the clerk reads guilty first count. Guilty, second count. Guilty, third count. Guilty, fourth count. The defendant's head drops. The bailiff takes out their handcuffs and cuffs the defendant. My heart dropped. My heart dropped because I had worked with many people like him. But there are consequences for our actions. And you could hear from the family of the victim, sighs. The judge began to speak to us and thank us and tell us how important our job was. My eyes did well up with water. He knew the stress that it had on us and he acknowledged that. And then he dismissed us and told us we were allowed to talk about it if we chose at this time. I didn't talk about it for the longest time. It was kind of, since I couldn't talk about it while going through it, I wasn't ready to share. And I really have only shared with a few people, trustworthy, confident people. I will tell you that when we left, we were escorted out into the elevator. And one of the jurors said that when the verdict was read, she looked over at the victim's family, and they mouthed to her, thank you. With that, the tears began to roll down my face. Honestly, I was sobbing inside my mask because I knew that family got justice. It brings tears to my eyes thinking about it now, knowing that for so many years waiting for this trial, 
they finally got justice for their loved one. They never can get their loved one back. They will not have those future memories they could have had with them. But I believe on that day we gave them some peace. And so this is something I will carry with me for the rest of my life. It literally changed me. I mean, literally changed me. And so I have to deal with these thoughts. I think about it every day. I even still talk to one of my jury friends. So something positive came out of it. I made a friend. And so I carry it with me. It will always be with me. The visions, the evidence of what happened, and the outcome. I hope that the victim's family can be at peace. And I truly hope that the defendant does get some help. And so this is my story. What is your story that's overwhelming you, that's taking up that space in your brain and not able to give your brain a break? Do you have it? Do you know it? I know you do. We all have our stories. That's just mine. One little story amongst millions and billions of stories out there. But it's mine. And the weight is on me. And so now, remember I said in the beginning we have to go basic. And so I had a revelation this weekend. I, amongst all this weight that has been on my shoulders, I was at my daughter's recital. And for the first time ever, she played the piano and sang a Taylor Swift song and a classical piece and another song. And in those moments under my mask, I'm smiling. And I have those tears in my eyes, just like I did in the courtroom, a flood of emotions. But these emotions were of my daughter has been dreaming of this moment and it's coming true. And that was something good. That was something happy. That was something that she continued doing through all these things that have changed my family's world. She continued with the piano and her singing. And then she was shining in her moment. And that was a small positive moment in that day, in that moment. Today, I can pull that memory, and it's positive. And so for those of us who are struggling on this journey that we're taking together, I want you every day to look for the positive. As small as it might be, I want you to start to train your brain to look for the positive. Even if it means getting a extra five-minute lunch break. In those five minutes, what do you choose to do? Look for the positive. They're out there in everything we do, even in the hardest of times, in the saddest of times. There's a little joke or a little chuckle. Those are the small positives. So what I'd like you to do right now is a task with me. It's something I do. I compartmentalize. 
And so my best way to give you a visualization of how I compartmentalize, I want you to think for a minute. As if you have a file index inside your brain. And I want you to think of the stressors. One by one. Work, for example. Put work on one of those file cards and file it away in your file box inside your brain. Give it a title. Sadness. Put it on the card. File it away. Go through all your stressors that you're going through today and file them away. And at the very end of putting each card in there, of your stressors, of your trauma, of what's bogging you down today, what's overwhelming you today, what's causing you anxiety today. On the very last card, I want you to write what something positive has happened to you today. Now, maybe it's a smile that a stranger gave you. So write that down. Smile from a stranger. Whatever that little positive note was, put it on that last file card. Now I want you to hold on to that card. And I want you to close the file in your mind. We're not ignoring those stressors and those traumas. We're just compartmentalizing them for a moment. We're putting the lid on it for a moment. And I want you to focus on that card and see that card in your mind's eye of that positive moment. Take it in. Remember how you felt. It's basic. This is basic. Start to train your mind and your mind's eye to look for the positives in each day, even if it's only one. But someday you might notice many positives because you're training your brain. It's, it's the power of positivity taking over that vulnerability that we talked about in the beginning of the podcast. It's taking control of the chaos that you may be going through in your life. So now you have one of my stories in my journey. Maybe some of you can relate to it or transpire what you're going through through what I told you. And how are you going to cope? Start compartmentalizing. Start with that internal file in your brain. And each day, train your brain to look for the positives. Positive thoughts create positive energy. And that's what our journey is about here at Wide Open Spaces with Elise in Season 3, is to go on a journey together and how to cope, positively cope, to move forward, to get through it, the struggles. And while we're going through this journey, let's not be naive. We could have more struggles. But going through this journey together and using the techniques that I give you each week, hopefully you'll have a toolbox of things you can pull out when things feel out of control and stressed. It won't make them go away but it will help you gain that control and to decrease that vulnerability again 
that we talked about. Thank you for joining me for episode number 73, The Journey. Everyone has a story. I know you do. And come join me again next week for episode 74. Remember, we all have those wide open spaces within ourselves. Let's fill them with positive things. Positive thoughts always create positive energy. So I hope next week you pop in your earbuds and you join me at Wide Open Spaces with Elise, a podcast. Ciao, my friends.